Have you ever had a dream, Neo, that you were so sure was real? What if you were unable to wake from that dream? How would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world? This can't be what? Be real? It's going into replication. Hey, boss, still nothing. Tank, we're going to need a signal soon. We got a fibrillation. APOC, location. Targeting almost there. He's going into arrest. Lock, I got him. Now, Tank, now. That was Neo, played by Keanu Reeves, crossing the threshold of simulation and reality in 1999's The Matrix. This week, we review another high-concept sci-fi, full of reality hopping, in everything everywhere, all at once. We don't know what we're doing, we're just talking about films, and films are better than people. I'm Lawrence. And I'm Sam. (sighs) I know Kung Fu. So, this week we watched Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. That's the title of the film. We didn't watch every single possible film in existence. But we may get into that in this film. So, uh, Sam's going to tell you the plot. Evelyn Wang is off to see the auditor to discuss her laundrette business when her reality is shattered. A different version of her husband Wayman appears to tell Evelyn... That a malignant being for an alternate time is trying to destroy the universe. It is up to Evelyn to connect with other versions of herself in infinite parallel universes to stop this unstoppable evil and save everything she knows and loves. Or, as a haiku, life falling apart, multiverse falling apart, taxes and dildos. <laughs> <laughs> And hot dog fingers. And hot dog fingers and all manner of other weirdness and stuff. That is something that appears in the film, by the way, hot dog fingers. I yeah. just thought of that off the top of my head. <laughs> this will all be explained, the kind of the weirdness of it. Or if you go and watch it, I suppose the weirdness of it, of it will be explained. But yeah, it's a multiverse, so expect strange things coming at you. Expect everything. Expect everything. It was hard to write a haiku to, to, to try and encapsulate everything or the weirdness of the film. But I feel that the multiple narratives and then the silliness of the whole piece, I feel is captured by my haiku. Yeah, I mean, you, as I see, you, you had a broad scope. You could have chosen anything. You could I have could gone have anywhere. Done, I could have done any, everything or anything. Uh, all at once. All at once. Well, not the all at once bit, because it still has to be the 575 structure of a haiku. Otherwise, you know, it's not haiku plot if I don't do that. But yeah. <laughs> Maybe you could have gone into a universe where all you do is speak in haikus. Yes, I could. I could have done. It's funny you mention that because the whole inspiration behind haiku plot did actually came from a level on a video game where everyone does speak in haikus. Oh. Yeah, and it was that was in a Spyro Year of the Dragon. Uh, so it was kind of inspired by that. I'm I mean, sh- I do now feel like I live in that universe after hearing you do <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of haikus. <laughs> You love my haikus, or you're, you're going to learn to love them, I'm sure. 
You know, that if we keep on doing this... For an infinite amount of time. For an infinite amount of time, you will grow to love the haikus. They'll be your favourite bit of this whole podcast. You won't even enjoy watching the films anymore. You'll just be looking forward to seeing what haikus I come up with. Well, I'll look forward to the next one then. Here's a clip. <laughs> Whatever clip we do end up using, I'm not sure it's going to quite capture the utterly strange experience of, of watching this film. Everything Everywhere All at Once is, is truly one of a kind, despite being a film all about that there's an infinite amount of versions of, of different universes. Yeah, I don't think there's anything we can say that can really prepare you for it, which um, I don't think I'm ever going to say about a film ever again. <laughs> well, apart from the fact that it is directed by a duo that call themselves Daniels, their real names are Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, and they both directed Swiss Army Man okay, yeah. from a few years ago. I think understanding that this is a follow-up to Swiss Army Man would kind of prepare you for what it is, because I think it's a similarly strange experience, but it's a wonderful experience. It's a really strange, funny, weird, and moving experience to watch this film, and I really hope that a lot of people do watch this, and don't go and watch that other multiverse film that's, that's going <laughs> on at the moment. Be? Dunno! One that might have been more obvious for us to do a podcast about. But I think people have heard us moan about Marvel films long enough for, for now. And, and said Marvel film is? And said Marvel film is Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, which is... Or Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Um, I went to see it because I got a free ticket through my work. And um, it was... It, it's not really great. It's not that great. So, uh, but anyway, enough about that. This is definitely the better multiverse film. But what did you think about it? Yeah, I mean, it was one of those films that I walked out of and thought, how the hell did they make that? Yeah. Which is is a resounding positive review because... I, I just think almost every scene in this film feels like dense and filled with information and incredible choreography. And, you know, it's just one of those films that you think so much care and attention has gone into the writing and the filming. And I was just in awe of it, really. I do think maybe it was perhaps a bit too wacky at times. Uh-huh. And I did find myself, like, really kind of grasping... To, to really understand it um, and there was definitely a tipping point about the third of the way through where I thought I'm either going to get this or I'm not I just think there was so much going on and so much information is explained to you really really quickly but I, I did hold on and I did grasp it and um, yeah my my enjoyment of it was, was fulfilled therefore but I, I do worry that maybe it'll be a bit too obscure um, and just a bit of an information overload for some the, the interesting thing about the film, I think, is that, and the, and, and it's similar to their, their last film, uh, Swiss Army Man, is that it mixes the sacred and the 
profane. And these two things should really not mix at all, certainly not the way they do them. Um, but they do somehow find a, a way to make them mix, or at least kind of coexist. You know, is this, Sorry, is this a good time to bring up the uh, the hot dog fingers? Yeah, it is a great time to bring up the hot dog fingers. Because there's basically a love story in one of these multiple universes between Evelyn and the auditor, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, and her, her the auditor's name is Deirdre. And it's just this really bizarre episode, yeah, where they fall in love, but it's in this universe where everyone has hot dog fingers. <laughs> so you really want to talk about the hot dog fingers? Yeah, I know. Yeah, sorry, I've, I've interrupted your flow, but I think that this—I no, I know that if we didn't explain it, if we didn't get that in, if we didn't sort of contextualise it, then no one would really understand why we were talking about hot dog fingers. <laughs> we've done it now, and okay, we can go, go back. It's a great science fiction concept. I know it's—it does sound mad, but it's a great science fiction concept. I mean, the idea being that basically with focus and with these little earpieces that you can wear you can synchronize with another version of you in another universe and you can get their memories their emotions but also their skills as well but in order to do that you have to do something that is very unlikely to happen in your universe and also very unlikely to happen in their universe but somehow that kind of links your universes together so it's it, it's it's a good science fiction concept but it's also utterly silly i mean it's wacky and it's and it's it's that wacky sense of humor that permeates throughout the film so you have to do things like give yourself paper cuts or confess your love to someone who you shouldn't confess your love to in order to pick up these new abilities and that that, that get you out of a situation and, and stuff so it does have this existential thriller aspect to it a la the matrix but it's just really really funny you have all these kind of like absurd situations that nonetheless make sense within the intrinsic logic of the film which is great and provides for moments that are really thrilling but also really funny and that's great yeah and the the fight sequences as well because i think what we're what it sounds like we've described so far is like perhaps a bit of a like a hard to tackle sci-fi film that you know explores elements of the universe and philosophy um but actually and it does do that and it does do that but there are scattered throughout some really really good fight sequences there are wonderful it could be a like a kung fu or martial arts film obviously it's not your kind of standard kung fu or martial arts film but the first really big sequence is with a bum bag yeah it's with evelyn's husband uh waymond this alternate version of himself who you know is there to help evelyn save the day and save the universe he gets this bum bag and he takes down uh, all the uh, the security guards at the the um, auditor's office with it, and it's just so brilliantly imagined. And I had no idea how like you would write something like that. I had no idea how you would choreograph something like that. But it just looks absolutely fantastic. And again, it's just it's so silly, but it just again it works within this 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 world. It, it once that concept is explained, as you've summarised really really well, the idea that you can go to any sort of universe and become any sort of version of yourself, then seeing someone fight with a bum bag makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm a big action buff, and I think it's a great sequence. Like, it is utterly silly and stupid, but it, it works, and it's exciting and really well put together, really well choreographed. I, I loved it. The, the, the sacred part of it, the really moving part of the, of the film, is that it's about how Evelyn, as she goes on through this adventure, she has to go kind of face-to-face with love and family and, and all the tough parts of these things, but also the really 
beautiful reasons why these things are, are, are in our life. And it has this really simple, wholesome way of describing these things that are important. And it just, it hits you like a really good Disney film. I mean, I cried, and I wasn't the only person in the cinema that, that cried as well. And I also cried to Swiss Army Man as well. So I'm, I'm going to, like, I feel like the, these Daniels films just make me cry. Um, uh, which is unusual. Films don't, don't usually make me cry, but it's just exceptionally moving. It, it needs that emotional core, though, I think. It really if, does. If, if it doesn't have that emotional core, I just think the audience loses it because it, it is like a bit of a twisted, aloof sort of science fiction piece where there are parts of the film that you're not going to understand the first time you watch it. And no. I definitely felt that. But you have this emotional core. You you know, M- Michelle Yeoh, like, plays Evelyn Lynn so, so well. Yeah. Um, she, like, really conveys her confusion, her care, her crisis as well, because she, she's going through a period of her life where she's not happy with the person that she is. And, you know... F- and she's not happy with the people in her life yeah. and the relationships she has, and which is really relatable and, and I think, a, like, a real... That kind of real human element that that in the middle of all this insanity and this high concept stuff grounds everything. And she's really funny as well. She is really funny. She's that's great. The, that's the thing. I mean, we've just talked about a range of emotions that most actors would... You know, you don't have to do two of those emotions during one film. But throughout everything, everywhere, all at once, Michelle Yu has to do so many different personalities and and she, she absolutely nails it. I think she's wonderful. It's the best role I've ever seen her do. Yeah, I would agree with that. There's, there's also a really strange bit where she has to basically play herself. Because there's an yeah. alternate universe where she goes to play an, an actress who's, who's a kung fu star. And she's yeah. at the premiere of her own film. So she would have been at the premiere of everything, everywhere, all at once. Seeing herself, watching the premiere of the film in that universe... I'm starting to yeah, know, yeah, hold yeah. in on myself here. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, it must have been such a strange experience for her. I think it's probably a strange experience for everyone in, in the film. She's actually not the only good thing about this this film as well. I, I mean, I think the standout for me, I think she was excellent and the cast is great. But the, but the standout for me was actually Ki-Hai Kwan as Waymond, her husband. He could really shift between being this quite pitiable and soft version of her husband to actually this tough soldier as well but he he still kept it funny i was also really interested to find out that he played short round in indiana jones and the temple of doom and i hate indiana jones and the temple of doom and short rounds terrible so i feel like he's finally made up for that terrible, for, for that terrible second uh, he Indiana Jones. He when he made that. You can't, <laughs> yeah, into, you I can't know. hold him to account for that. I know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding really. But he was great in this. I also really liked the person who, who played their daughter, Stephanie Hsu. I thought she was excellent and she's been in a lot of like TV stuff, but I hope to see her to like do more things. She, she was like the kind of the modern uh, presence in the family. Uh, certainly one of her versions is, is gay and Evelyn is, is trying to kind of deal with that and deal with whether or not to tell that to her own father, so uh, her daughter's you know, grandfather, and that their connection and their relationship is one of the real like hearts of the film and what, what make it so moving, and I think it worked re- really, really well. But also, like I say, the relationship with the husband is also just this really beautiful and, and, and sweet idea within it. What What's interesting about this is as well, this kind of family angle, is that, Towards the end, they split into a few parts, like a few universes. So you aren't just watching this high-concept sort of sci-fi 
comedy thing. You're also watching like a real family drama, and it's effective. I think it works for for what the film's trying to do because the the film at its core is about the, the massive universe and the the emptiness of it. That or the or certainly the question of is there any point to this? Why are we doing any of this uh, on the on the kind of macro, but also the micro? Like why? Why even have these kind of human connections if they drive us insane or make us miserable? What is the the point of life and existence, especially when you hit these brick walls and these horrible moments? And is there a way out of it? Or is the universe just so unfathomably large and cruel and, and, and tough that, you, you know, there is nothing else to it and you just kind of melt under the weight of it? Uh, it's it's big. It's it's big ideas, but it but it works, and they communicate them really really well, and they communicate it well through this family, and I I think that's really interesting. But but they make it digestible in a way. I definitely a hundred percent it's digestible. <laughs> I've said that because they basically use this concept of of the donut, and now I've said digestible. That just feels like a pun. <laughs> but it's it's not. Yeah, but... the donut rep. There's a giant donut with everything on it and everything in the universe everything in the universe on it but once you have everything on the universe then you kind of can see the pointlessness of it or it's something that can destroy everything i've, I've saw the directors use it as a, as a tool to describe nihilism yes and essentially it's the idea of joy going having nihilistic feelings and thoughts and and it's up to her mother evelyn to, to sort of break through that and and for them to have this connection and I think that's kind of interesting as well because that maybe shows this generational divide. How maybe there's kind of the boomer generation or the the Gen X generation compared to millennials or or, or Gen Z. You know, maybe younger younger people do have this kind of a loss of identity or or loss of hope in uh, in the universe. Which um, I'm not sure. I, I mean, maybe that's something that has to be explored. Or now I, I can confirm further. that is what we feel. <laughs> as spokesperson for millennials, we feel that a lot. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I think there is definitely that reading of the film as well, that this is also about generations. Joy is the daughter, uh, played by Stephanie Hsu. She is like a second-generation immigrant from China to the, to, to the United States. Uh, and she is also like a... a like a, a Gen Z or millennial kind of on the, on the boundary. You could see it as a story of those uh, different generations... You could also see it as a story of immigrants, a very like Asian story about those gaps between those generations as well. I think the film does suffer from a couple of things. With a, with a concept like this, there are parts where you feel like it's gone too wacky or you just don't feel like the concept really makes any sense. You, you know, there's 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 all you always have to kind of suspend your disbelief to a certain point. But I believe the phrase is timey-wimey. Timey-wimey, yeah, timey-wimey, wavy. Which just basically means that through this concept of time travel, you can pretty much make anything up as you go along. Yeah. And then cover your tracks and just say, hey, it's time travel. Yeah, that's right, the, the, the time travel stories. It doesn't suffer from that as much as I think it suffers from over-exposition. You do have a few too many scenes where people are just kind of explaining how the concept works and everything. It is necessary for a high-concept thing like this, but you feel like you there could be a way where they could not do that as much i think they do also make the same point over and over towards the end i think that you 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 feel like there is a a bit of repetition going on uh in some of the things that they're saying and doing and everything but 
you know, I, I don't think that takes away from from the final experience for a for a story this ambitious and and out there. Like it, there's almost it almost inevitably suffers from some of these um, kind of character flaws. Almost, I think this depends on second and third and fourth viewings, really, because I think yeah. it is a film that that does warrant um, repeat watching. And if you go and see the film again, and actually you think, oh, this this story feels a bit lightweight, or they haven't quite explained this part of, or like there's a few plot holes that you can. You can point out, but I, I just don't get that sense. I feel there's a real craft to it, and and I think again, if you if you went back to watch it, you could even pause the frame and see ways or things in the scene that you didn't notice before, and it yeah. tells the story in an even better and more enhanced way. Yeah, I think it is it is ripe for rewatch and and seeing if you can pull something new out of it. Everything, everywhere, all at once is just a unique and ambitious genre splicing explosion of color. That's how I describe it, and it's it is utterly silly. It's occasionally crude, actually, it's quite often quite crude, uh, and at the same time, a really beautiful response to life, the universe, and everything. It's wonderful. I mean, it's going to take something really big to knock this one out of the best films of the year for me. I, I don't think that everyone will love it that goes to see it. Uh, it. It almost feels a bit like Russian roulette. I I do really feel that like five out of the six people that go and see it will like it. But there's going to be one person out of the six that just goes, this is just really not for me and rubs you the wrong way. But it's worth that risk. It's wonderful. Yeah, and it definitely felt like a risk. I mean, even who the um, the distributor was. But I just don't... I was A24. It was A24. Okay, well, it was it was a, it felt like a big risk to, to do that, to put this in cinemas. Because, yeah, I mean, I think it will go over some people's heads. And I'm not someone who... <laughs> who always gets a grip with these kind of more difficult sci-fi films. But actually, the way that it's explained is really well. And I think you talk about the repetitive points that they make throughout. Um, that's part of the narrative. But yeah. I think that is quite important because this film isn't going to take everyone with it. But actually, as I said, like by the foot of the way through, you can really get your head around um, what they're doing in terms of the parallel universe. And, and yeah, I think the most important part of it is this emotional core. You know, if you you can get swept up in the story, but you'll always come back to these characters that you really care about. Now, ultimately, you want this family to to make it through, and you want to, you know, you want to see them together at the end. I think that says a lot, really, that you can watch a film with so many really high concept sci fi ideas, but ultimately, it always comes back to the characters, um, which I think shows how well written it is, really. But yeah, and I think from a technical point of view, the the choreography, the way the camera moves, the fast edits. I think it's really, really exceptional as well. And I do feel like it's a film that people within the film community are, are talking about. You know, I've seen online on social media that people are like, have you seen this film yet? I think it's very rare. We only, we only get a film like that maybe like two or three times per year. And I don't think this will like break into the mainstream. I don't think, you know, this will fill multiplexes. But I do think this is a film that people will keep referring back to in years to come, really. And I think in that sense, in the film, that it's it's something that everyone's talking about. I think shows how people have got their head around it. It has kind of hit a nerve with um, with a certain audience. And yeah, the two Daniels, Daniel Kwan and uh, and Daniel Shiner. I think I think people are going to really look forward to to what they do next because I haven't seen their their first film, but this really feels like a film that that was made with you know mavericks of the genre, and perhaps they'll do another film that's in this kind of sci-fi comedy mold. Definitely two of the most interesting directors working around at the moment. 100% agree. They're going to be people that as soon as the next film comes out, I'm going to be excited to see it. Yeah, they're they're really special. And I think they've made a really, really special film. There is no way I am the Evelyn you are looking for. 
Every rejection, every disappointment has led you here to this moment. Don't let anything distract you from it. Okay, if you liked everything, everywhere, all at once, then you should watch The Fifth Element from 1997. So The Fifth Element was made by Vogue director of the time, Luc Besson, um, and it was part of a slew of sci-fi films coming out in the in the mid to late 90s. Bruce Willis is in it, he plays Gorbin Dallas, an ex-army officer whose normality is turned upside down when Lilu, played by Mila Jovovich, crashes into his cab after escaping from a government laboratory. Now we should probably rewind a little bit, because there's a bit that happens before that. Um, Earth in 2263 is being threatened by a mysterious alien race who can only be defeated if the United States government... Um, I think it's just the United States government, isn't it? I think or, it might be the United Earth uh, government. The United Earth government, sorry. Receives the ultimate weapon known as the Fifth Element. Uh, a friendlier species of alien, they're not all evil, not all evil, uh, called the Mondo Sharwans, borrowed this weapon in the early 20th century, and now Earth is requesting it back... However, on the way to Earth, this weapon is taken and destroyed by mercenaries hired by Gary Oldman, who plays Zorg, a businessman who's working with the evil aliens. Uh, Not all is lost. A piece of the weapon is saved, taken back to Earth, and through super technology, scientists are able to create Lilu, who is the fifth element. Corbin and her have to go on a mission to another planet to get stones representing the four classical elements, which will then give Lilu the power to destroy Earth's existential threat and save humanity. But... As she finds out... Wow, that's a lot! (laughs) Is humanity worth saving? So, yeah. There we go. There we go, that's that's what the movie... That element, indeed! Wow! I forgot, it's like... There's there's so much to explain about the fifth element. Yeah, uh, and still so much more. Hello? Corbin, sweetheart. You got broken fingers, you can't punch my number? Hi, Mom. Welcome on. Have a nice day. Major Dallas, we're selected for a mission of the utmost importance. What mission? Save the world. <laughs> so why is the fifth element similar? In terms of the short and simple, uh, it's fun, it's a bit silly, and you can even read it as something that's sort of pure style, or a film that is questioning life, the universe, and everything in between. There's humour in almost every scene, and Besson's got this fast-paced rhythm in terms of camera and sound that matches with the, the Daniel style and tone, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. Um, you can make the case that the fifth element is more conventional sci-fi, while everything, everywhere, all at once fits into this sort of time travel sub-genre. Uh, however, both have this kind of sense of exploration and adventure as you travel to different worlds, planets, and ages. Uh, I guess each film needs its audience to understand the vastness of space and the miracle of life. So we have compassion for the characters within each piece, but perhaps more compassion for the characters in um, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Um, so yeah, if, if Everything, Everywhere, All at Once is giving you a taste for a frenetic, obscure, and comedic sci-fi, then look no further than the fifth element to set your appetite. Absolutely. Uh, love the fifth element. I could and would love to talk about all different aspects of the fifth element. There is a lot there. I think at the time it was sort of a bit I, I think it was received in kind of a mixed way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which it got nominated for some golden raspberries. Oh did it? Yeah. Wow. They, they showed some, some ra- the, the Razzies, yeah. A financial success, but um yeah, rather divisive amongst its audience. It was very mixed reviews, but it is aged really, really well. It's it now stands as this really 
ambitious, similar to everything, everywhere, all at once. It's a very ambitious science fiction that does a lot and touches on a lot and has a lot of different uh, moods running through it. You know, at the end of the day, there is this this deeper idea about what is humanity and what is life, and if we are nearing the end, what what is really worth saving. I, I think that everything, everywhere, all at once, that 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 central message is probably done a bit better is like a little bit deeper it's more coherent it, i think it's more coherent but there's several like wonderful moments in it like actually the fifth element there's this wonderful scene about actually about kind of spirituality there's this moment where zorg uh, the villain played by gary oldman is describing why his evil empire actually does a lot of good because it's all about just cause and effect you know actually it's a way of him saying i control everything and everything has a knock-on effect, and everything trickles to other people, and it and it all works as an order and a sense of order. And then he just tries to eat one cherry, and he swallows it and starts choking. And one of the other characters kind of starts pointing out that, you know, you think you have all this control, but it can just be brought down by one cherry, one kind of thing that you didn't plan for, you couldn't plan for. And to me, that's a kind of really beautiful idea about faith and belief and and spirituality or even you know religion the idea that actually there isn't a uh it's not something that i adhere to uh, as an atheist but the, the the idea that there could that actually just the ideas of cause and effect and how you see the universe the pieces aren't all there to explain how the, the world moves around and there's some really beautiful ideas like that in the fifth element plus it's just great sci-fi looks amazing yeah, it's really camp, and the design is is pretty spectacular, which also I like to think maybe kind of does represent the limitlessness of the universe, and that once you have, you know, once you go into the the new millennium, you kind of got this idea of kind of like all these different styles and fashions kind of yeah. smashing together, and it produces this really kind of futuristic look. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's as aged as well as you think it has, to be honest. Or like, personally for me, I don't know whether the visual effects are perhaps as good and yeah i don't really know there isn't like loads of good female representation in the film he does seem to cast all sort of supermodels and they all are wearing quite outrageous clothes and walking like supermodels and uh yeah i could see why that might might feel a bit weird when the three planets are in eclipse the black hole like a door is open evil comes spreading terror and chaos there's nothing that can stop this there is only one thing Perfect. The Mondo Chiwan have in their possession the only weapon to defeat evil. Four elements gathered around a fifth. Uh, if you didn't like this, I'm going to say watch Inception from 2010. You know, if you wanted a science fiction that's also high concept but a bit more grounded, something that you take seriously. Uh, then go and watch this kind of like modern sci-fi classic. You know, except no substitute, Chrissy Nolan, that's who you want. Uh, he'll deliver the goods for you. Uh, so And not very much humour. And not very much humour either. <laughs> or certainly his kind of version of blockbuster humour, which is very broad and infrequent. <laughs> so, um, 
So, uh, Inception is the story of Cobb, played by Leonardo DiCaprio. This story is a lot more simple than The Fifth Element, (laughs) so don't worry. Uh, So, it's Cobb, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, who's a thief with a particular niche. He and his team perform heists inside someone's mind. Using illegal government technology, they can enter your dreams and search your psyche to steal the information that they need and that, that they're paid to steal. But Cobb carries his own mental baggage with him, and on the most ambitious heist of their careers, a bad dream can be a very dangerous thing. We create the world of the dream. We bring the subject into that dream, and they fill it with their secrets. Then you break in and steal it. Well, it's not strictly speaking legal. So there's no dildos or flamenco dancers here. There's not even any blood or gore, because uh, uh, Chrissy hates that as well. You'll never see anything sort of too too splattery in a Christopher Nolan film. Is there any blood in this at all? Think... No, it's really kind of interesting as well. Like almost the, the the machine itself that helps you go into the dream is actually just kind of like tubes that go up people's shirts. Yeah. He, he seems even squeamish about showing how the dream works. It's actually really funny talking about this as a recommendation because you know how you were talking about this is the film that everyone was talking about in the cinema world. Inception was that as well, although well, like, everyone was going to see it. It wasn't like well, we've asked the thing. I think that's the difference. I think because that's the thing. Inception did break the the mainstream, you know, barrier. I think, you know, I don't think everything everywhere all at once is, is going to do that. But that's probably a good thing. Yeah, that probably is. I mean, honestly, it feels strange to talk about Inception because I feel like anyone listening to this podcast will have seen it. It is just one of those movies that if you have been going to the cinema in the last ten or twenty years, you you will have seen it. Uh, at some point it's a great science fiction concept and it ultimately is about psychology it's about playing with the kind of the, the psychology of the mind but that, that that's kind of running through it a very kind of like inward thing about the psychology but there's also this uh, external thing about architecture because once you're in the dream you have to build the dream yourself and so Christopher Nolan has a lot of fun kind of building these different uh, optical illusions and these very cool buildings uh, that don't always make sense and flow into one another but it's like a very beautiful like crisp classic look to everything once you're once you're in the dream the, the action is 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 massive really big kind of even even though it's in a dream it's all like you know done for real and it's uh, really thrilling and especially when you like kind of get with the concept and get your head around the concept as well you know they could create some really great scenes i remember my jaw being on the floor in this sequence when one of the characters has to has to fight something else within the world of the dreams you know a very very rich people by the way can basically train their brain to create projections that can fight people it's something that's like maybe doesn't make perfect sense but it means there's an excuse for you can fight people in your dreams it's it's fine but anyway one of the characters fights another character while the dream is kind of like spinning and so you've got this great kind of sequence where in there in this hotel room and they're having to wrestle each other while gravity is is kind of working against them and it looks amazing the the score is you know Hans Zimmer so of course it's like stirring and exciting but there's now that quite muscular as well muscular yeah good way to describe it but also there's that now iconic inception noise that's sort of like 
which seemed to pop up in everything. Or in every trailer, anyway. In every single trailer at one point. But it's great. I mean, it is probably my favourite Christopher Nolan film. Like Everything Everywhere All at Once, it is a very ambitious, big science fiction concept that... They, they really managed to pull off. But I think if you kind of went into everything, everywhere, all at once, and then you, you come out of it and just say it was silly or maybe you found it like a bit irritating or you really weren't convinced by some of the kind of more uh, schmaltzy bits, I think that Inception's like more your your kind of cup of tea because it's the look of it is so much more solid and beautiful and very stylish very cool very expensive and and the um, feel of it is cerebral and the feel of it is cerebral because i think that's the thing with christian island films i think they're all cerebral to one way or another and i think everything everyone wants is trying to be more broad mm. well this is just you know taking itself very very seriously yeah exactly and it, and it does but i think that you can kind of poke holes in the in the concept and lots of people do but i think if you can kind of go with it if you can jump into it head first you'll you you do find like it's one of the best like science fiction movies uh, ever made you know i think it'll be a while before we see something like inception like ever again and uh, if we ever do and it's and if you if somehow you haven't seen it it's it's really worth ticking off the list it, it's a really wonderful mixture of so many different things and then it creates this this really bold ambitious sci-fi do you think it has that emotional core that um everything ever all at once does because well that's just... one of the reasons i did want to kind of pull up on it right i mean that's one of the reasons i wanted that i kind of picked it because i think it does have something in it it's not it's not quite the same it's not it's not quite about life the universe and everything and nihilism you didn't cry in front of inception i didn't cry in front of inception no but we've answered that question (laughs) (laughs) but there are lots of questions about like reality and dreams and psychology and Cobb is haunted by something that went really really wrong uh, that ended up with the, the the death of his wife and he has to confront what really really haunts him about that and why she won't leave him alone or that the guilt of her won't kind of leave him alone and manifest herself in in his uh in, in his brain and I think there is something in it about being able to let go of ideas about guilt and actually seeing and grief as well and, and, and Which grief is and, other characters yeah it is and also that difference between reality and, and dreams and almost the addictive nature of dreams and how Cobb's journey is trying to pull himself out of his own self-imposed dream it asks like the basic existential questions about what is real and how do you define real and how do you work out what's real and what isn't you know i say basic existential questions by nature existential questions aren't basic but <laughs> but you, you you get what i mean like there's still a lot of that stuff in there you mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger darling Oh, this has been a very existential podcast. It really has. <laughs> My brain hurts. <laughs> Is this real? It's what, a, what, are we, which universe are we in? What are we what are we talking about? I'm not sure. Are they? Do they even have films in this, or is it all just in in this universe, or is it all just like electroshocks that they you know, strapped to your nipples or something? That, I don't think we could review that. I mean, that does sound something that would happen in <laughs> everything, everything everywhere, everywhere all at once. All at once. <laughs> 
<laughs> really does. It's that raunchy. Yeah. There's, there's no, like, universes you, you fancy visiting? A, any other alternate versions of Sam that you want to touch in on? Yeah, I think um, very briefly in the film... Evelyn... I mean, apart from the hot dog fingers, <laughs> which obviously from... you're obsessed with now. Apart from the hot dog fingers. Um, yeah, in, in the film, Evelyn goes into... Um, and it's never really looked upon that much, but uh, she goes into a, a universe where she's animated. There's oh, a, yeah? There's this animation. Oh, I'd love that. Yeah. I think that'd be fascinating, you know, and there wouldn't be, it wouldn't just be one animation, you know, think of all the illustrators out there, think of all the ways that, you know, you could draw me or you or, or the world, just imagine being in one of those, that would just be so fascinating. Oh, I, I was going to pick, like, a Lawrence that could actually make himself go to the gym and get a six pack, but yours, like... Didn't we talk about this in the last podcast? Did we? Yeah, I think about you getting, going to the Oh, gym yeah, the North, because we were talking about the Northmen. So we're talking about the six pack a lot. Like it's, it's, it, I guess it's just coming up to the summer, so and like I might be, and I'm, I might be going to a beach. So I guess maybe it's, maybe it's on my mind. So maybe that's from- the inception in my mind. <laughs> it's like the psychology is going on. Um, I mean, yours one sounded really, really nice as well. But I just quite, like, I just quite like to get a six pack. All right, I'm still thinking about the Northman. All right, Alexander Skarsgård. I can't get him out of my brain. All right, he's still going to be there. And ideally, if there was like some universe where I could like hop into and get the willpower to do a hundred sit ups, then I'd quite like that. You know, I think that I would just solve solve a lot of problems. I could still be this universe. Yeah, I just, I got a lot on, um, and there's there's not a lot of food in, so I'm just going to order a pizza or something. So. <laughs> No, I think that's all right. I'll just I'll just wait for the universe jumping technology, and then I'll get the six pack. Then I'll go to the gym. Let's not end it there. I, all we... right. Well, do you want to? You don't want to end it there? Uh, okay. Well, in that case, I pick the hot dog fingers <laughs> universe because <laughs> that's that's what I want to go to. The hot, the hot dog fingers universe. See you there. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Films Are Better Than People. Be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on right now so you never miss an episode. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts and SoundCloud. And don't forget to come follow us on Twitter at Films Are Better and like us on Facebook.com forward slash Films Are Better.